Welcome to New Reflections with Dr. Adam Rubenstein. Skin care and plastic surgery are hot topics these days. Let Dr. Rubenstein answer your questions and explain what you want to look for in aesthetic products and cosmetic procedures. Get ready for a discussion about all things aesthetic. Now, live from Miami, Florida, American Board Certified Plastic Surgeon, Dr. Adam Rubenstein. Welcome to New Reflections. We're glad to have you listening to us this week. This week we've got a topic that means a lot to a lot of women. This week's topic is breast reduction. Too much of a good thing. We're going to talk about all the different aspects of breast reduction. You know, this is something that's very important and close to home to lots of women. Breast size is one of those things where, you know, we've talked about breast augmentation a lot on the show. And, uh, you know, that's something that's been around. We talked about the very first breast augmentation that was ever done. It was done in 1895 by Dr. Cherney, uh, who took a, a fatty tumor from one part of the body and then used that fat to increase the size of that same patient's breast. That was, you know, back in the 19th century. And it, we've come a long way since then with breast augmentation. But there hasn't been the same history with breast reduction. Breast reduction is, is really more of a modern technique, a modern thing that we do. It didn't start that long ago in terms of reducing the size of the breast. And certainly with a, an aesthetic idea in mind, you know, cancer operations were on for a long time that do reduce the size of breast, but not for aesthetic purposes. And, you know, aesthetic breast reduction is a pretty modern idea, something that's really only been around for the past, oh, 30, 40 years, uh, about 30 years or so. And it's really, even in that short period of time, been developed and been refined to a great extent. There's lots of new techniques, and we're lucky to have joining us today uh, Dr. Dennis Hunt, who is a board-certified plastic surgeon, and he has uh, done a lot of breast reductions in his career, and in fact has described one of the more modern techniques for reducing the size of the breast with minimal scarring. So we're going to talk about that. There's lots of techniques that people use. And one of the earliest things, you know, if you went to your doctor 50 years ago and you said, Doc, I have these large breasts, what should I do about it? Well, the answer was probably to lose weight. And weight loss will help you lose the breast, but in, in many cases, not really in an aesthetic way. And you know, we've done shows on breast lifts, which is what happens uh, when you lose a lot of weight and the breast sag, if you want to make the breast more attractive and give it a nicer, more perky shape, then we talk about a breast lift. Now, a breast lift and breast reduction have a lot of overlap. One of the things that, that patients often ask about when they come to my office, they'll ask, you know, I want to have a breast reduction. My breasts are too big, but can I get a lift as well? And it's a common misconception, you know, a breast lift Making a perky-looking breast is part of a breast reduction. Breast reduction is not just taking off the tissue. It's also very artfully creating a good-looking breast. And so there's lots of different ways to do it. We talk about weight loss. Of course, there's many different surgical techniques, and very soon we'll be talking with Dr. Hammond, and, and we'll discuss all the different surgical techniques. And even liposuction. Liposuction fairly recently has been introduced as a tool for reducing breast size, and we'll talk to Dr. Hammond about his thoughts on that. You know, people come for breast reduction because they have certain symptoms, and uh, the symptoms that most people will come talking about include neck pain, back pain, skin irritation, and that irritation happens between the breasts, underneath the breasts. Uh, the, the area under the breast we call the inframammary fold. And the inframammary fold is the, the, where the breast hangs, that skin, the, the fold that is the, the base of the breast underneath. That area can get very irritated. You can get all forms of dermatitis or even uh, skin infections at times. Shoulder notching. Shoulder notching is very common with women that have very heavy breasts. It's, it's just what it sounds like. Shoulder notching is the, the a knot that forms in the upper part of the shoulder where the bra strap runs over the shoulder. And that can really deform the shape of the, the shoulder, where the trapezius muscle comes down from your neck. You usually have a smooth line there, but if you're wearing bras that are carrying very heavy breasts all the time, over time it wears it down and you get a notch in the area where the bra strap runs. That's called a shoulder notch. All these things, neck pain, uh, neck pain and back pain, shoulder notching, skin irritation, all of these are reasons to consider having a breast reduction. 
And in fact, these are the reasons that make a breast reduction medically necessary. Another thing we're going to talk about today is the fact that this is really a reconstructive procedure and that insurance companies should be covering it in most instances. And we'll, we'll talk about insurance coverage and, and why there's some difficulty sometimes. And I think the first thing we should talk about is who is a good candidate. And to have that discussion, I want to introduce my, first, my, my guest. We, we, don't have, we only have uh, Dr. Dennis Hammond joining us. We're very privileged. He's a board-certified plastic surgeon, as I mentioned before. He has described some revolutionary techniques in breast reduction, and we're privileged to have him on the show for a second time. Dr. Hammond, thanks for coming back to us here at New Reflections. Well, thank you so much. It's uh, great to be with you again. Well, it's, it's a pleasure to have you, and you've heard us uh, just doing a quick introduction about breast reduction. I know breast reduction is a significant part of your practice. In terms of the patients that come to you looking for breast reduction, let's talk about reasons. Besides the things that I've just mentioned, the neck and back pain, shoulder notching, skin irritation, what are some of the other reasons you see people seeking a breast reduction? Well, other than, as you said, the physical complaints that can accompany all that weight hanging down from the chest wall and the shoulders, there can be some emotional sequelae as well, particularly in younger girls who just develop way out of proportion to their body habitus, and it can be a difficult time uh, negotiating the, the landmines of high school and social interactions, et cetera, um, with that kind of a body habitus, and so there can be some some important emotional aspects to the procedure as well. Yeah, that's a very good point. I do see some young girls, and, and, and that begs the question. We should get into the topic of who is a good candidate, because we're talking about young girls. Where do you draw the line? Because I do see girls even as young as 14 or 15 sometimes come to the office in desperation because of the size of their breasts. Where, how do you determine someone who's mature enough, old enough to consider having this done? You know, the great question is how young is too young? And, you know, I've actually even done a breast reduction for someone uh, as young as 14. Um, now, that is certainly going to be an outlier. Um, you'd like the breast to be fully developed before you make any attempt to surgically alter it. But from my standpoint, if the breast size is creating enough of a problem that it's beginning to affect their social development, in school, if they're withdrawing, they're having difficulty participating in sports activities, uh, their social structure is being affected, that's not really correct to put a girl through that uh, just because the breast isn't fully developed. And my standpoint has been I'm going to go ahead and do a breast reduction and, you know, for goodness sakes, if I have to do a little revision down the road when they're 18 or 20 years old, well, I can do that. Um, but for the most part, you'd like the breast to be fully developed before you make any attempt to alter it. And that's so, really going to be what, by the age of 18. Exactly. Okay, perfect. That's just what I was going to uh, get to. Now, what role does weight loss play? And we're talking about young girls. And young girls, typically, the, the large breasts are not because they're morbidly obese or, or significantly overweight. But being overweight is the... Uh, the a big problem, you know, being overweight with older older women can help augment the size of their breasts with the extra fatty tissue, and so weight loss has a role. How do you counsel your patients? Have you ever sent someone to lose weight before surgery? Oh, yeah, we sure have, um, and because it's not just the breast size which can be affected by the obesity, but just their overall general health. Uh, probably is an even more important issue. And we have sent people for uh, consultation with diet experts and uh, a program for weight loss in that regard. But uh, that, in my hands anyway, that's a minority of patients. Um, what we ask is simply that their weight be stable, that they not be in the process of losing a lot of weight or gaining a lot of weight. Uh, if they've been stable for six months to a year, uh, basically, this is where they live, this is where they walk around, and then we work on from there. Well, and it's a good point because, you know, in the old days, and I'm talking that long ago, we talked at the beginning of the show, this operation, this, the whole operation, the procedure of breast reduction has only been around for about 30 or 40 years. And in the old days, back in, in the early days of breast reduction, it was the dogma to tell folks that if they came in, they were significantly obese that they had to lose weight to have surgery, and that would help reduce their breast size. But make a great point. People living morbidly obese are that way because they haven't been able to lose the weight. And there's a catch-22 there, because in order to lose weight, as we know, 
It's not only eating less, you also have to be able to burn some calories. You need to exercise. So having large breasts, and, and it, it can get in the way of being able to, to exercise on a regular basis. You mentioned with the young girls, just being in sports, but even with women of all ages, large breasts get in the way. It makes it difficult to run. It makes it difficult to jump. It makes it difficult to really be active. So but deciding if someone's stable in weight to do the operation, in my practice, uh, has, has sometimes been a springboard for patients and get their their breast size down, it becomes more comfortable and more manageable for them, and they can be more active. I, yeah, I would agree. I've seen the same thing. And, and to take it even a step further, it's almost somewhat a little humorous in the office once we've done the breast reduction and now their, their breast is smaller, and as you were mentioning, it's more uplifted and actually looks better. Now all of a sudden they can look down and see their, their tummy. And they say, <laughs> all right, that's what comes next. And it can really be the impetus to spur them on to a a considered program of weight loss and exercise to really get back in shape. Well, now, we're looking at candidates. So we talk about well, weight is not really uh, something that you would eliminate somebody for. It just depends on how stable it is. Age is relative. You don't want to go too young and ideally 18 and older, but in some cases maybe younger. What about the thought of having children? Does that play into your decision? If you're seeing someone who maybe they're in their early 20s, they're married, they're thinking about having kids, but they also are suffering with this large breast problem, how do you counsel that? Well, you know, that's a great point because a lot of people will come in and say, now what's going to happen to my breast after I get pregnant? And I'm sure as you've seen yourself, it can go all over the place. There are some people that will experience a significant increase in the size of their breast. Um, and then some people, after they have pregnancy, inexplicably even the breast can shrink a bit afterwards and they can end up smaller than when they started. Uh, it's so hard to predict uh, that we basically tell them, listen, if your breast size is bothering you now, even though you're sort of at the beginning of uh, planning your family and whatnot, I don't know how much sense it makes to just go another five or ten years putting up with the symptoms that you're putting up with um, just because the breast might change in the future. Because particularly with the techniques that we're using today, a future revision is something that's always possible and is actually fairly easily done. Yeah, I think that's sound advice. I give a similar advice to really all uh, patients with any procedure. You know, my point is always you, you have two choices. You can either wait until you reach the point at which, you know, you believe it's a good time because of these other considerations, or you can have something done right now and enjoy the results and the benefits of the results up until the point that you reach that, that milestone of your life. And, you know, that's a personal decision for patients to make. Most patients prefer to have something done sooner so that they can get that relief or get the enjoyment of the new shape so that they can have that up until the time that they may make the decision to have kids or may reach some goal that they're trying to achieve. Now, what about asymmetry? Sometimes you'll see a patient that has one breast that's small and one breast that's actually quite large. How do we reconcile those patients? Well, you know, actually, that's the most common scenario that you'll see. The number of people that come through my office that have perfect symmetry from side to side is a distinct minority. It's more common and probably even normal for one breast to be slightly different than the other side. Now, as you know, we, we commonly see people where they have a marked difference, that one side is maybe even twice as big as the other side. And that's actually very easy to handle. You just do a larger reduction on that side. And so not only can you alleviate the symptoms of a stress on the chest and the shoulders, etc., but you can also vastly improve the symmetry that they have, which makes it easier to present themselves in public or clothes and certainly makes them feel better about themselves as well. Yeah, I think asymmetry is something that everyone has. I often tell my patients, even Victoria's Secret models have one breast a little bit bigger than the other. So oh, absolutely. The, the, you just can't see it. Yeah, there's no way that you can ever have achieve perfect symmetry, and that's something that we also talk about after surgery, uh, where patients need to understand that if you're considering having this procedure or any other procedure on your breasts or other paired structures in your body, you know, your ears, your eyes, there's always going to be some asymmetry. You have asymmetry before surgery, and you're going to have asymmetry afterwards. There's no way to achieve perfect symmetry. Now, one last thing uh, that I should mention before we go to a quick commercial break, cancer treatment. Women frequently will have uh, a problem where once they've had, you know, if they have diagnosis of breast cancer and they have 
a mastectomy or perhaps uh, a, a big lumpectomy where they take a good amount of tissue on one side, they'll frequently come in with one larger, heavy breast that has, that thankfully was not diagnosed with cancer, and then the other breast that's been treated. And I think that the, the idea of doing a breast reduction for one side or, and some other uh, procedure to achieve symmetry, that's a pretty common scenario too. Oh, I would agree. Uh, and you can, again, um, restore the symmetry that they're seeking by doing that breast reduction. And interestingly enough, a lot of times you can incorporate a reduction-type strategy in a patient that's having a lumpectomy for cancer and make it so that uh, after treatment for breast cancer, they could come out looking better than when they started, which is just a marvelous thing to be able to do. Yeah, I, I, I agree. We're, we're always, we have the pleasure as plastic surgeons in many instances of taking a negative situation and turning it into something positive to help people move on and be even better after the, some of the challenges in their life. We're going to take a short commercial break, and when we come back, we're going to talk about insurance coverage. Now, this is a reconstructive procedure, and we'll talk about why that's true and how we can help get insurance coverage for this treatment. We'll also talk about lots of different techniques, including Dr. Hammond's now famous spare technique for the reduction of breasts with very limited incisions. We'll be right back after this short commercial break here on New Reflections. Your life, your health, your network. This is Voice America Health and Wellness. Choosing a doctor is a big deal. Start with the Cosmetic Surgery and Wellness Expo this Saturday from 10 to 6 at the Miami Beach Convention Center. Your safety is important. There are many choices and options when it comes to your health and safety. Visit up close and personal with respected doctors. Admission for this event is completely free. All doctors are board certified. Specialists include plastic surgeons, dermatologists, cosmetic dentists, and experts in wellness and anti-aging medicine, bioidentical hormones, and more. Plus, vendors of cutting-edge products like Botox and Restylane will be on hand. Take advantage of free seminars and demos all day long. Enjoy many gifts and giveaways, including a health screening provided by Walgreens. And it's all free. The Cosmetic Surgery and Wellness Expo, this Saturday at the Miami Beach Convention Center, starting at 10. Visit CSWExpo.com for details. Your safety is important. Start here. Cosmetic surgery is a big deal. Make sure you do your homework. Why? This is not my car I'm working on. I may settle for an okay job on that, but I won't settle for anything less when it comes to my body. Do your homework. My doctor trained with world-renowned plastic surgeons. My doctor is a fully board-certified plastic surgeon. My doctor is an MD and on staff at several Florida hospitals. My doctor is an associate professor of surgery at a major university. My doctor is Adam Rubenstein. People pick a doctor based on trust. You can trust Dr. Rubenstein. He has the experience, knowledge, and artistic touch you're looking for. Call 305-792-7575. That's 305-792-7575. Call today for a free consultation. Dr. Adam Rubenstein, Turnberry Plastic Surgery at Biscayne Boulevard in the William Lehman Causeway, where medicine meets artistry. My doctor is Adam Rubenstein. Your life, your health, your network. This is Voice America Health and Wellness. are listening to New Reflections with Dr. Adam Rubenstein. If you have a question or comment for the host or this week's guests, please call 1-866-472-5792. Again, that's 1-866-472-5792. You can also send an email to info at dr-rubenstein.com. That's info at dr-rubenstein.com. Now, back to New Reflections. Well, welcome back to the show. We're having a discussion about breast reductions. And we have just talked about who are good candidates, what are the reasons to have this done. Well, let's get into how you go about getting it done. And just before we went to the commercial break, I mentioned that breast reduction really is a reconstructive operation. And here's why I think that. When we talk about cosmetic surgery, 
we're talking about people that are coming with normal appearances, normal structures, and we're operating on them in the hopes of improving their appearance. When we're talking about breast reduction, we're operating on breasts that, that are functionally abnormal. They're much larger than average size. They create problems for the women that have them. They create symptoms that are, you know, with, that we discussed before, lots of pain and discomfort and inability to function normally. So, you know, this is a situation where we're operating on an abnormal structure to try and make it more normal. And that is a reconstructive procedure. Now, insurance companies uh, more or less do make an effort to cover this. But remember, insurance companies are in business to keep the money, not to pay the money. So, you know, they have very strict guidelines sometimes as to what can be done and how it needs to be done, different qualifications. You know, we run into this all the time. Uh, Dr. Hammond, how do you handle insurance coverage? How do you counsel your patients? Well, it's very much uh, specific insurance plan dependent. And a lot of the plans will have their, their guidelines that are, are published uh, right on their, their websites. Um, they tell you the criteria that are required, and you can look those up and make certain that you've got them satisfied. So um, we've really come a long way as far as standardizing that. In the old days, I'm sure you remember, you used to have to write a letter to the insurance company in almost every instance to try to get preauthorization. I think basically the insurance companies became weary of that process and just said, here's the guidelines. If you meet these guidelines, it's covered. If not, it's not. And so some of the things that you, know, you look at... Um, and again, it varies from company to company, but uh, has there been any attempt at conservative therapy? Uh, I don't know, to be honest with you, what conservative therapy would be. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah, I guess losing weight usually is what yeah. they're talking about. Uh, wearing a supportive bra. A lot of times they'll ask, has there been any attempt at physical therapy or chiropractic care, which again is going to fail. Uh, you just can't replace the fact that the breasts are too big. Uh, and then a lot of things will center on how much are you going to get off. And uh, I live up in Michigan, and what we have are some tables that we have to consult. So based on the height and the weight of the patient, then you can cross over and say, for this particular patient, you have to get this amount of breast tissue off each breast. And at that, that point, I have to make a guess as a plastic surgeon. Yeah, Am I good and, at that, and that can be difficult. You know, we're, we're pretty skilled at getting a sense. We're looking and kind of eyeballing and saying, oh, you know, this would be 400, 500, 800, 1,000 grams. And, but, you know, when you're in the operating room, so the problem is, uh, is that the, the, when you're in the operating room, you're doing the best thing for the patient. And what I think is some of these, uh, these guidelines create is, in some cases, a need to perhaps doing uh, a bit more to comply to get the coverage than you might want to in some of the smaller breast reductions. And really, it, there's a disincentive to sometimes to do the right thing for the surgeon because you know if you need if you take out another hundred grams, you're going to get coverage. Whereas if you don't, then there's going to be a problem. And so I think it, it does set it up. Now, in, fair, in fairness, in most cases. We're well within those guidelines because most people coming for breast reduction are having really significant amounts of stuff taken out. But you know, have, have you ever found yourself in that situation where you know you've got a five or six hundred gram minimum, and you're doing a, the breast reduction, you get one side pretty much just the way you want it, and you're maybe fifty or a hundred grams shy of where you really need to be? No, absolutely. You know, and this is where being an experienced plastic surgeon really comes into play. Uh, and you can you can circle back on one inviolate concept, and that is that I will not over-reduce a breast to satisfy some preconceived insurance requirement. Uh, that's just a bad policy uh, because what you'll end up doing is really running the risk of distorting the breast. It's not that it'll be too small, but that it could end up being mildly distorted. Now, if I know that my limit that I'm searching for is 500 grams and I've done what I think I need to do and I'm at 475, you know, I can easily, with no consequence whatsoever, get out a little bit more somewhere to reach that 500-gram limit uh, just to, to make it easy for everybody involved. And, I, and I'll do that. But if I have to do much more than that, then we're really in the scenario you just described where it's getting a little bit dicey as far as affecting the final result. And 
And those are the types of patients where it's really hard. Uh, we tell patients, and if they're close to their, what we think they, they need to get off to satisfy the insurance coverage, that we tell them that I won't over-reduce them for that, and they could end up having to pay that bill. Yeah, um, I think obviously you never want to compromise the end result. The end result is always what, what dictates how much you're going to take out. Because you, the whole point of being there is to make something that's really pretty and just aesthetically pleasing, and, and that's why they came to see you. So, you know, the, I just think insurance coverage sometimes puts you in a, you and the patient in a compromised position. But I, I'm, I'm also happy to say that for the majority of women that come with, with significantly large breasts seeking reduction, it generally can be covered as long as, you know, if they have insurance coverage, it, it generally is going to cover a significant reduction. Oh, I think so. And, and like, again, we're, we're kind of focusing sort of the minority of patients. Most times you can tell as a patient sitting in front of you whether or not they're going to be uh, a good candidate for breast reduction because it, it's, for the layperson, it would be astounding for them to see just how big and out of proportion the breast can get. It, it oh, surprises yeah. me sometimes. Yeah, well, I agree. Sometimes we get patients in and out. And one thing I do want to make clear, a breast reduction is not the same thing as a breast lift. We mentioned this earlier. Even though doing a breast reduction includes lifting the breast and making it a, a more pretty structure and perky structure, the other, the, the converse is not true. You know, a, a breast lift is not going to remove lots of tissue. And so, you know, insurance is not going to cover a breast lift or what we call a mastopexy. So we sometimes do see folks that come in the office hoping that their insurance can help them with that. But unfortunately... In the, insur- the eyes of insurance companies, a sagging breast is quite a different thing than a large, heavy breast. That's exactly right. And where it gets to be a little bit difficult to understand sometimes, particularly for lay people, is that a lot of the techniques are the same for both groups of patients. Um, and they sometimes have a hard time understanding why, uh, as you said, a reduction would be covered, but the saggy breast treatment wouldn't be. Yeah, and it's just unfortunate because, it's, in my view, having a, a really sagging breast, particularly after ha- losing a bunch of weight or uh, after having some children, is a similar scenario to having heavy breasts. The only difference is that functionally it doesn't get in the way, but uh, it still is an abnormal structure at that point that we we're trying to improve. And, well, and I, just, you know, I would just add on top of that that the treatment of that extremely saggy breast, and, and in particular for the patients that have lost a lot of weight, for us as plastic surgeons can be one of the more gratifying and really fun operations that we can do uh, to reshape that and make it look uh, beautiful again. Oh, yeah, no question. I, I do a lot of uh, weight loss patients. I do a lot of procedures on weight loss patients, and it, it is it's one of my favorite things to do, pretty much anything where you're really restoring and, and beautifying something that, that they've worked so hard uh, to get to that milestone and then look in the mirror and find that it's not everything it's cracked up to be. And to take them across the finish line, I always tell my weight loss doctors, my colleagues, that they do all the hard work, and then you know, I get to take them across the finish line. There you go. <laughs> well, you know, the insurance coverage is, is something that I think anyone that has big, heavy breasts can expect to receive. If they have insurance, it's probably going to be covered if they, if they have really large breasts and they're looking to reduce it. Then we have to get to the choice of technique. And, you know, the early breast reductions use the pattern of incisions that we call a wise pattern that uh, is the was shaped like an anchor. It's got an incision that goes around the areola, the colored uh, part of the skin around the nipple, and then a, a vertical line down to the fold underneath the breast, and then an incision that goes across the fold underneath the breast. So you get this anchor-shaped pattern of incisions, and that's what people did for many years. And still, uh, at least in, in my practice, I still reserve that procedure for the really large uh, and heavy breast because I find it gives me the most control over the type of shaped breast that I can make after reducing the breast. There's been more modern techniques. Uh, there's a vertical technique which it, it eliminates the, the incision that goes underneath the breast. Uh, so it looks like a lollipop. People call that a lollipop uh, reduction. And then, you know, you've revolutionized a technique that has the only scar being around the areola. So tell me, you know, bring me through that, that ladder of thought. How do you look at someone and do you still use the anchor shape or wise pattern incisions? Do you use vertical techniques? And, and then tell us about the spare. 
Well, you know, you're, you're exactly right. The, the gold standard, we use that term in plastic surgery a lot. Uh, the accepted technique still in 2012 would be the inverted T approach, as you said, the one that gives you the wide scar that goes underneath the breast in the fold from the middle of the chest out to the lateral aspect of the chest wall. Uh, And anything I'm going to say now is not meant to discourage that. That is the gold standard. Uh, And when you've got an extremely large breast and a lot of people's hands, they would have to do that operation. The problem is that that is an extensive scar burden to put on, say, an 18-year-old high school senior uh, who maybe only needs just a small breast reduction. And I think all of us in plastic surgery are asking ourselves, is there something else? Do we need to do really that, that nuclear option, so to speak, for somebody who only needs just a, a mild tweak. And that's where the short scar techniques have really come into play. And the first one that came on the, on the landscape uh, was something called the vertical mammoplasty, which basically came from Europe. A gentleman named Claude Lassus, uh popularized it. Uh, that was taken up then by another lady from Belgium named Madeleine Lejour. Mm-hmm. And it really... Re- more than anything, it revolutionized our thought with regards to breast reduction because it eliminated that scar that went under the breast from the inner aspect of the chest out to the area under the arm. The only scar you ended up with was one that went around the dark pigmented part or the areola and then straight down. And as people began to utilize that technique, there were some problems that developed. Uh, people were unfamiliar with the way that the breast was rearranged inside and unfortunately there were some unusual but still prominent episodes of people actually losing the nipple in the areola because it didn't have enough blood supply. But more yeah, you know, and that's something you know, that's something I, I want to point out. You mentioned the nipple areola and, and that is something that a lot of patients have misconceptions and and some fears about with this operation as we're talking about technique. The the vertical technique is really not the only time that this comes up. People worry. Well, first of all, I should say, people have this conception that when we operate on the breasts, we cut the nipple in the areola off the breast, stick it on the side of the table as we're working, and then sew it back on when we're done, which is just not true. There, there is one historic technique that, that did that. Uh, for extremely large breasts, and even with extremely large breasts today, I doubt there's very many doctors that are resorting to that technique. So the truth is, the nipple and the areola stay connected to the breast tissue the entire time we're doing the surgery, and that's the point. That's just what you're talking about, Dr. Hammond. The blood supply to the nipple and areola complex is the key to doing safe surgery with this. We're not going to get into the whole discussion about the anatomy and whatnot, but the important point is, that as a group, plastic surgeons have spent a tremendous amount of effort to learn what the blood supply is to the nipple and areola complex and to respect where the blood supply comes from so we can devise techniques that are very safe and don't lead to losses of a portion or the entire uh, nipple areola complex. So, number one, take-home comments for the audience. Number one, we don't lop off the areola and then sew it back on when we're done. It stays connected the entire time we're doing surgery. And number two, that the blood supply is critical, and that's why sometimes there are limitations to certain techniques, particularly when we're doing an operation for the second or third time for somebody because incisions have already been made. So the important thing is to respect the blood supply there, and, and that's our goal is to make sure we maintain that and keep it healthy during and after the surgery. That's true, uh, 100%. Uh, I wouldn't be able to expand upon that any better. Uh, and it, just to point out then is that the breast reduction techniques that we utilize have become so varied that you really have to be a breast aficionado to be familiar with these techniques and be able to apply them safely. And that's why I would very much urge anyone interested in doing a breast reduction to research their doctor. And you just, there's no way to say it. You need a plastic surgeon. This is what we're trained to do is to manipulate the breast and rearrange it, respecting the blood supply to these critical structures. You can't be a casual surgeon. You can't be, for instance, a general surgeon. You can't be a dermatologist and be expected to be trained to do these complicated procedures like this. Yeah, there's no question. And, and, and we often say on this show, do your homework. 
make sure you're going to see the right kind of doctor. And I, I, we're going to go to a, a short commercial break in just a second, but I want to emphasize this. The only doctors in the United States that are fully trained in the techniques of breast reduction surgery are board-certified plastic surgeons, and they're surgeons that are certified by the American Board of Plastic Surgery. We always emphasize that on the show. You want to see board-certified doctors. The American Board of Plastic Surgery is the only board in the United States that has the authority to certify plastic surgeons after their training. So you're looking for board certification by the American Board of Plastic Surgeons. Not enough to say, are you board certified? Because you could be seeing a board certified general surgeon or dermatologist. You have to know, are you a board certified plastic surgeon certified by the American Board of Plastic Surgery? That's what you want to know. But we are going to go to a very brief commercial break. And we're saving the best now for last. We're going to come back and we're going to talk all about Dr. Hammond's spare technique which really has the most minimal scarring pattern possible for breast reduction. Very exciting. We'll be talking all about it right after this short commercial break here on New Reflections. Opinions, options, answers. Voice America Health and Wellness. Cosmetic surgery is a big deal. If you need a coronary bypass procedure, you probably want someone you trust and not the biggest bargain in town. You might get more than you bargained for. This is your face and body we're talking about. Do your homework. My doctor trained with world-renowned plastic surgeons. My doctor is a fully board-certified plastic surgeon. My doctor is an MD and on staff at several Florida hospitals. My doctor is an associate professor of surgery at a major university. My doctor is Adam Rubenstein. People pick a doctor based on trust, and you can trust Dr. Rubenstein. He has the experience, knowledge, and artistic touch you're looking for. Call 305-792-7575. Call today for a free consultation in a multilingual office. That's 305-792-7575. Dr. Adam Rubenstein, Turnberry Plastic Surgery at Biscayne Boulevard and the William Lehman Causeway, where medicine meets artistry. My doctor is Adam Rubenstein. Opinions, options, answers. You're listening to Voice America Health and Wellness. You are listening to New Reflections with Dr. Adam Rubenstein. If you have a question or comment for the host or this week's guests, please call 1 866 472 5792. Again, that's 1 866 472 5792. You can also send an email to info at dr rubenstein.com. That's info at dr rubenstein.com. Now, back to new reflections. Welcome back to the show. We're here on New Reflections with Dr. Dennis Hammond, board-certified plastic surgeon and expert in breast reduction. And we've just been talking about different techniques. We talked about the inverted T or the anchor-shaped incisions. We talked about the vertical approach that uh, came from France and Belgium and is now very popular in the United States. And one of the most revolutionary techniques came right out of the United States, actually right out of Dr. Hammond's office, and that is the spare technique. Uh, Dr. Hammond, tell us about the spare technique. Well, you know, it's, we, we use this adage in plastic surgery a lot, and I know you've heard this before, but, you know, if we do anything, it's because we're standing on the shoulders of the people who came before us. And I had a chance to watch that whole uh, scenario of breast reduction techniques play out with particularly quad lassoose. And there's a problem with that operation. It can work, but a lot of people end up with some bad scarring under the breast and open wounds that have to heal over time right in the level of the inframemory fold. And I said, you know what? I think I can fix that. If I were to combine a, a circular incision around the areola with one that curved down towards the, the bottom of the breast and then use what we're familiar with here in the United States, which is the inferior pedicle type of technique. Put all that together, I think that operation would work. And this was back in 1996, and we've just never looked back. The, the results are just outstanding, pretty straightforward, very low complication rate. You can adequately reduce the breast. But the cosmetic results are particularly gratifying. These are beautiful breasts 
that result from this procedure. And um, we've just never looked back. We do it all the time. So what's special about the spare? You know, for someone listening and they're hearing us talk about the inverted T incisions and then the lollipop or vertical incisions, it's easy to, to envision. Tell, tell us, without getting into too much technical detail, what's special about the spare technique? Well, three things. Number one, you get half the scar. So you've reduced the scar burden by half, which is particularly good for younger girls who are pretty impressed and concerned about the level of scar that you have. Uh, and it's always good to try to revert, re- reduce the amount of scar because you cut down on the chances for there to be a, a wound healing problem. Second is the cosmetic results I think are better. Now, they're better right away, right on the table. So the patient walks out of the operating room with an attractive breast, which can be particularly important when you're treating cases of asymmetry. You don't want to have to wait for the breast to go through some period of settling to assume its final shape because you could miss, you could guess wrong in that kind of scenario. So the fact that the breast looks good right away is a real advantage. And probably the most important thing is that the breast shape does not significantly change over time. So you heard the old adage that a facelift is only good for 10 years. These breasts look good immediately, and they stay looking good for the foreseeable future. I tell patients that they're going to have the breast, the best-looking breasts in the nursing home after they have this operation done. <laughs> uh, and that's a real advantage. Uh, yeah. So it's just now, there's almost nothing not to like about it. Now, you mentioned the, uh, cutting the scarring in half. Tell us about that. What is the scar pattern for the spare technique? Well, compared again to that old inverted T, you know, you've got the scar that goes around the nipple and areola, the dark pigmented part, and then you've got one that comes straight down the front of the breast to the inframary fold. Those scars typically are the ones that heal the best. The one that I've been able to eliminate is the scar that goes all the way underneath. You do not get that scar with the spare breast reduction. So in particular, on the inner aspect near the chest wall, near the middle of the sternum, and then the one that goes out underneath the arm, those can sometimes become what we call hypertrophic or widened and thick and red and visible. By removing that scar, I think you make the operation much more acceptable to a lot of people. And so you, you were mentioning that there's, there are some healing problems with the, the stuff right at, in the fold underneath the breast. We'll be using the, the original lollipop-style techniques, and what you've revolutionized is the way to get that, the bunching of that tissue or the, the difficulty getting it all to come together well by bringing it up around the areola and taking up some of that excess tissue there. Well, that's right. What I learned was with the old-fashioned techniques, vertical techniques, they basically tried to gather all of the redundant tissue just in that vertical scar, and that can lead to breakdown. If you distribute the tension on the wound over the entire incision. Uh, this is getting a little technical, but uh, all around the periareolar incision and then in the scar that goes down to the fold, you tremendously decrease the, the rate of wound healing difficulties and bad scars. So better shape, better healing, longer lasting results. That's what I think. That's what I've seen. And I, I agree. I think the technique definitely has advantages over all the other choices for the right kind of patient. Now, would you consider doing a spare technique for someone that needs lots of tissue, maybe over a thousand grams to be removed? Yeah, I, you know, I would, but that's because I've been doing it for 16 years. Uh, the, one, <laughs> the one criticism that you could make about the spare is that it does require a lot of hands-on technical attention. Uh, there's a lot of shaping that's done in the operating room that really requires an artistic eye. So you can't just make a bunch of marks on the patient preoperatively, cut on the dotted line, sew it up, and go home. You have to make some judgments and some determinations in the operating room to shape the breast up. Now, yeah, I, think, I think the best, I really think the best surgery is, is the stuff that, I, I call it customized surgery. I, I always tell patients, I've never done the same operation twice. Because every time you walk in the operating room, you've got a different patient, different challenges, and, and you work on things slightly differently. I'm not a fan of surgery by the numbers. I don't believe in making your marks, cutting and going. I really think the, the art happens in the operating room, on the table, and it takes time and attention, exactly what you're saying. That's exactly right. And uh, the, on the one hand, the spare requires that kind of attention, which can be a downside for some surgeons, but on the other hand, 
it requires that kind of attention, which for you know guys like you and I that really enjoy that process of, of manipulating and shaping soft tissues to really create that pretty result, that just is just invigorating and exciting, and it makes it a real fun procedure to do. Yeah, absolutely, and it gives great results for patients. Now, let's talk quickly about liposuction. In, not too long ago, there were some papers published about using liposuction as a breast reduction technique. And after it got some news coverage, I started seeing, and I know our colleagues around the country probably saw the same thing, patients coming to the office and saying, well, you know, I want to have a breast reduction, but I don't want to have any of those incisions. What about just doing liposuction? Can't you just suck out all that extra stuff? What do you say about that? Well, you know, you can. Absolutely it can work. And one of the reasons we did not embrace this technique years ago was because we were concerned that liposuction would leave behind tracks of scar inside the breast that would make it difficult to view a mammogram. Well, those concerns have been largely eliminated or addressed, even to the point now where we'll put fat in the breast to to fat graft it, which would be perhaps the subject for another show. Um, But we don't worry about that anymore. So that can you reduce the volume of the breast with liposuction? Yes, you can. The downside to that is it doesn't really do anything to the redundant or the excessive or saggy skin envelope. Now, what I've done in my hands is, particularly for patients that present for redo breast reductions, is I'll take the volume out with the liposuction cannula, and then I'll use the spare concepts to tighten and lift the skin envelope to create a shapely breast after you've done the liposuction. That combination can actually be fairly effective. Oh, yeah. No, I think if you're going to reshape the skin, I, I frequently will use liposuction as a tool to help get some reduction of the, of the breast tissue, the fatty tissue, in certain areas where I don't want to have to reach into to physically cut it out and remove it. It's a nice way to extend your reach and to reduce certain areas and sculpt certain areas. But what I'm talking about are patients that come and say, I don't want to have any incisions on the breast. You know, little bitty ones for liposuction, okay, I can live with that, but I don't want to have that scar that goes around my areola. I don't want to have the vertical line that goes down. Can't you just do it with suctioning? And, you know, and that presents a problem. You and I know that doing just liposuction on the breast is not going to be the greatest choice for the vast majority of patients. You see, you know, a, a liposuction reduction alone is really only good for someone who comes in with very perky, very dense and heavy breasts. And the problem with doing just liposuction is that, you know, you've got 10 pounds of rice in a 10-pound bag. If you're going to take two or three pounds of rice out of it, that bag's not going to look as full. And, you know, we're not talking about a canvas bag. We're talking about skin, which has some contractile abilities. It's going to shrink down a little bit. But you can't take really large breasts that frequently are already sagging to a significant degree and hope that the skin's going to contract in and somehow magically make a perky breast because we've suctioned out a few hundred grams of tissue. That's exactly right. I, I couldn't agree more, and I don't do that, actually. Um, if I do do it, like we said, we uh, we do the circumvertical retailing. The couple times that I've done it is exactly what you pointed out. They tend to be young girls. The nipple is not low. It's positioned right where it should be. They're just too darn big. And that is actually a fair, it's a lot of fun through just a little stab incision under the fold that nobody will ever see. You can remove 200 cc's of fat from a breast like that and dramatically improve their proportion and their body image and their ability to do sports, etc., without the need to give them that scar burden. And that's where the liposuction breast reduction, in my opinion, is most useful. Well, let's talk a little bit about uh, a a technique that has recently gotten some attention. In fact, uh, just a week ago, there was the Baker-Gordon Symposium. And Baker-Gordon Symposium, for those of you listening, is one of the annual meetings in plastic surgery where there's live surgical demonstrations. It's a meeting for plastic surgeons to get together and talk about techniques and learn what's new and interesting around the country and around the world, really. And one thing that came up, was reduction augmentation. Now, I'm going to introduce this idea. We're going to talk about it after we get back from commercial break. But reduction augmentation is the idea that you do a breast reduction to reduce the amount of tissue you have in the breast, but also put in an implant, usually a small implant, but a breast implant nonetheless. It seems counterintuitive, but there are some real advantages to it. We'll talk about it when we come back from the commercial break, taking tissue down and reducing the breast, 
creating a perky breast, but also adding volume back in. Does, it, does that make sense? We just took some stuff out. We're putting some stuff back in. Well, it does make sense in some instances, and we'll talk about it in just a few minutes. We'll be right back after a short commercial break. Join us again here on New Reflections. Real Life Solutions, Voice America Health and Wellness. Choosing a doctor is a big deal. Start with the Cosmetic Surgery and Wellness Expo this Saturday from 10 to 6 at the Miami Beach Convention Center. Your safety is important. There are many choices and options when it comes to your health and safety. Visit up close and personal with respected doctors. Admission for this event is completely free. All doctors are board certified. Specialists include plastic surgeons, dermatologists, cosmetic dentists, and experts in wellness and anti-aging medicine, bioidentical hormones, and more. Plus, vendors of cutting-edge products like Botox and Restylane will be on hand. Take advantage of free seminars and demos all day long. Enjoy many gifts and giveaways, including a health screening provided by Walgreens. And it's all free. The Cosmetic Surgery and Wellness Expo, this Saturday at the Miami Beach Convention Center, starting at 10. Visit CSWExpo.com for details. Your safety is important. Start here. Opinions, options, answers. You're listening to Voice America Health and Wellness. You are listening to New Reflections with Dr. Adam Rubenstein. If you have a question or comment for the host or this week's guests, please call 1-866-472-5792. Again, that's 1-866-472-5792. You can also send an email to info at dr-rubenstein.com. That's info at dr-rubenstein.com. Now, back to New Reflections. Welcome back to the show. We're here just continuing our discussion about breast reduction. And when we went to commercial break, we just spoke about reduction augmentation. And that just doesn't seem to make sense when you think about it. Taking tissue out and putting something back in, well, it does make sense in some instances, and it can be a great technique. There are two ways to do it. If you're doing a reduction, making a perkier breast, taking out excess tissue, uh, sometimes you don't have volume where you need it. Because remember, large breasts get saggy, and a lot of times, especially with older women or women that have had a few children, the top of the breast, or what we call the superior pole, the upper part of the breast, gets kind of flat. And it's difficult to try and get the tissue back into that area and create a nice round shape there, a full shape in the upper part of the breast. So a lot, in many patients' cases, there's tissue that's missing there that, that you can either redistribute and try and create fullness there with the tissue that's sitting there, or you can put an implant in. And this is one of the, the recent discussions that happened at, at one of the, at the most recent plastic surgery meeting that happened last week. And uh, so, you know, there's two ways to do it. You can take the tissue that you've got, leave it attached in some way and redistribute it so you can kind of stick it up behind the, the rest of the breast as you're doing surgery to, to use it almost like an implant and create that fullness. Or you can put a small implant in it. And the whole key is just trying to get some fullness in the upper part of the breast. Dr. Hammond, you use these techniques? Well, I do the augmentation mastopexies, but I, I not really have embraced, the, as you said, the reduction augmentation concept. Um, I think that that can be utilized in a small subset of people, but it's important to realize that once you have a breast implant put in, you're a breast implant patient for life. And I think more along the lines of what you were discussing earlier, that if you can do it with the patient's own tissues, that you're far better off uh, creating a situation which is going to last the lifetime of the patient. So with this newer kind of concept, I've been a little bit of a slow adopter up to this point, but I'm certainly watching as it plays out over the next few years. We'll see whether or not this is a really good idea or just a sort of a good idea. <laughs> yeah, well, you know, it's like anything else. Uh, you never know until the time goes by and, and things stand the test. And, uh, you know, I think it, it is a problem, I think you would agree, in many patients to try and get nice upper pole fullness in the breast. 
And an implant is not an illogical choice to create that uh, that fullness. But I agree with you. You know, I'm a naturalist, and I would like to use people's own tissue if that can be done. And there's lots of ways to do that. We're not going to you know get into the technical aspects of that. But you know, if you're considering having this done, and you look at your breasts, and, and you're saying, well, they're big and heavy, but man, they're kind of flat on top, and, and you're worried about not having fullness. And now that we've discussed it, you've heard about it. Think about it, and bring it up to your surgeon. There are lots of choices. In technique, and, and many of them can help move the tissue around to create the fullness that you might be seeking. So they just be aware of it. I think it's something that's interesting, and and I too will uh, will watch as as these things play out in the future. You know, the one thing to point out though is once you put a, a breast implant in, rest assured you're not going to get insurance coverage. So you know, if you're doing this with an insurance covering the procedure, a reduction augmentation with an implant probably is not a great choice. Let's talk a little bit about uh, the post-op results. How long do you think the recovery is for breast reduction? You know, it's not that significant an operation, to be honest with you. I've had people go back to work who are very motivated. Uh, have that operation done on Friday, they're back to work on Monday if they have a desk job. Um, it's just their own personality and their level of comfort. Uh, but I do say if you have any kind of a vigorous activity, we, we hold them off from heavy lifting uh, for up to six weeks postoperatively. We just don't want to risk having any kind of a bleeding episode. Yeah, yeah I, think, I think that's wise. I'd say four to six weeks in my practice. And I'd say you're looking at one to two weeks on average to really kind of having the freedom of movement that you had before surgery while still trying to limit any, any big rigorous activities. Now, breastfeeding. A lot of women come in and they say, you know, I, I want to have breast reduction, but, you know, I, I may have children. I may have more children if you already have or may have children if you don't, and, and I want to breastfeed. How does that affect breastfeeding? For the operation that I do, it doesn't really affect it because we use the inferior pedicle where the breast tissue remains attached to the nipple, um, and I've had many patients successfully breastfeed after doing uh, a, breast, a breast reduction. But having oh, sure. said that, there are some people that have never had a breast operation in their life who can't breastfeed. So uh, basically I tell them it doesn't change what they would normally be able to do. Yeah, and I think that's, that's generally true. There was one study that was done, and uh, it was a quite a long time ago. It was when the techniques were probably a little bit more invasive and did more cutting physically into the breast tissue. But at that time, the study looked at, uh, it was a, a retrospective study, meaning it, it looked back on cases that were already done, and they polled women about whether they were able to breastfeed over time. And what it found was women with breast reductions, and again, this was the more aggressive older techniques, about uh, a third of them were able to breastfeed, about a third of them were not able to breastfeed, and then about a third of them didn't try. So when you kind of, if you distribute things evenly, you figure it's about a 50-50 shot at being able to breastfeed, but now, Dr. Hammond, you make a great point. Some of those women that never tried to breastfeed might not have been able, might, you know, maybe more of them would be able to breastfeed than not, and some of the women that said they couldn't breastfeed, well, a lot of them had never tried to before anyway, and so you don't know if the surgery had the effect. But in the worst case scenario, you probably have at least a 50% chance of still being able to breastfeed after the surgery, and I think it's probably significantly higher than that with more modern techniques that disturb the actual breast glandular tissue a little bit less than we used to. So I think breastfeeding is something that you can, in all likelihood, expect to be able to do after breast reduction. Now, one last thing uh, that we should talk about is breast cancer. There have been some papers that are published in our literature that suggest that having a breast reduction actually decreases your risk for breast cancer. That kind of makes sense. You take breast tissue out, you got less there to, to form cancer in. What do you tell your patients about that? I, I agree. It just makes sense. Uh, if you're going to remove half of the breast volume, that uh, you should in some way reduce the chances for getting a breast cancer in the future. Uh, but that does not mean that after you have a breast reduction, you shouldn't treat it just as a normal breast. Uh, follow the American Cancer Guidelines for screening. Get your mammograms. Um, we'll tell people to wait about six weeks, at, or I'm sorry, six months after a breast reduction to just have a baseline performed. And then when they start to reach screening age, they'll have something to compare to. Yeah, and I'm a big fan. I, I agree wholeheartedly about having baseline films. In fact, sometimes uh, I'll advise people to get a mammogram prior to surgery, uh, even if they're not of the age of having mammograms. So they have something to compare to because I wouldn't want something found 
later on to be confused with post-surgical changes. So, you know, you want to have a clean mammogram first and then, you know, continue on and, and continue getting a check. Great discussion, great topic, and I, I'm so grateful to have you to, on the show. I want to thank Dr. Dennis Hammond. Dr. Hammond, if someone wanted to look you up and learn more about the spare technique, maybe up in Michigan, come see you, where would they find that information? Uh, you just uh, type, uh, as, as with anyone, just type the name in in a Google search, or uh, our website is Partners in Plastic Surgery, um, and I think if you, you type that in, we'll come up without too much trouble. Great. Well, partnersinplasticsurgery.com or Dr. Dennis Hammond in Michigan is an expert in breast reduction. It's been a fantastic guest yet again. Thanks so much for joining us on the show. Uh, next week, we're going to be doing a live broadcast. We're going to, there's going to be an event in Miami called the Cosmetic Surgery and Wellness Expo. We'll have lots of experts on hand. We'll do a live broadcast from the Cosmetic Surgery and Wellness Expo. Join us next week live from the Expo here on New Reflections. We hope you stayed informed and entertained today on New Reflections. Please join your host, Dr. Adam Rubenstein, again next Saturday at 9 a.m. Pacific Time, 12 noon Eastern Time. You can also email the doctor at info at dr-rubenstein.com or visit his website at www.dr-rubenstein.com. And don't forget to join us next Saturday for new reflections on the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel. Have a beautiful weekend. Thank you.